May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A healthy fear of dogs seems a reasonable apprehension for most people. If you had met my grandmother's toy poodle, Jacques, you would know exactly why I say this. He would not just bite the mailman. He liked uh, the fingers of eight-year-old boys just as well. And so, um, and so he kind of taught us a, um, a natural uh, fear of dogs. Uh, he even signed our birthday cards. My grandmother would always sign our birthday cards. Love, Grandma and Grandpa. P.S. Jacques says me too. That's what she would always put. Jacques said, I don't think Jacques actually did. But um, I didn't want that little mutt saying anything to me, you know. Uh, we didn't get along so well. And so when I would write my grandmother a note back thanking her for the, Christmas, the birthday card, rather, and the $2 she put in, my grandmother put $2 in every birthday card I ever received until I was about 25 years old, okay? She always thought $2 would do something. Anyway, so I would write her a note back thanking her for... I never mentioned Jacques. Um, I think he knew that, too, uh, because every time I went over, things got a little bit more tense. I hated that dog. And he hated everybody, except for Bob and Harriet Palmer, my grandmother and grandfather. He hated everyone. He was like that spoiled little kid. You know the one who picks on everybody at school and they would run home to his mommy and daddy who would adore him and, and love all over him and... I used to dream of introducing Jacques to a pit bull named Nero or Spike or somebody like that. I always thought my grandmother should post a door, a sign on the door that would say something like, Beware of extremely pampered poodle with an overly developed sense of entitlement and a nasty disposition. You know, something like that, not just beware of dog. I, I felt like there were details that needed to be said about Jacques. He taught me that um, you should always be leery of canines. You know, some aren't like that. My dog Lucy's nowhere like that at all, but, but I'm still cautious. When I see a dog and I don't know him, I, I'm, I'm a little bit aware of what might happen. I think I was about 15, 16, somewhere around that. My friend Rob and I were walking late at night. It was dark out. I don't know what we were doing. You know, to bring up my, my mother. But we're out late at night and we're walking through a neighborhood. It wasn't a very good neighborhood. And, um, and Rob was walking along the side of the sidewalk close to the street while I was next to the homes along Kenton Street, you know, adjacent that way. And we're walking and we pass this dark alley and I hear this, I hear this growl and then this bark and it seemed like it was getting closer very quickly. And it sounded like it was a 300-pound Rottweiler, you know. Um, so I did exactly what you would have done. I threw Rob in front of the dog and ran, you know. And it turns out the dog was on a chain and so my former best friend uh, started laughing at me and, you know, I'm a little cautious with dogs. And I imagine if you see a sign that says, beware of dog, your attention kind of gets perked up, doesn't it? I imagine you use your senses like you haven't used them, you know, perhaps in the previous ten minutes. Your eyes are keen. You look around, don't you? You listen for those little, those little pitter-patter of feet for that whoop that's coming out, you know? You might even smell to see if you smell a dog coming your way. Because you know that if there is a ferocious canine coming, you need a lot of things, but one thing you definitely need is a head start, right? I mean, they can run faster than you. So you've got to get out of there quickly. A lot of dogs are irrational. They cannot be engaged in reasonable dialogue. 
Um, you know, you can't sit down and have a conversation and talk them out of their nastiness. Uh, you've got to run. But dogs aren't the only thing to be afraid of, are they? I mean, there are other things in this world to fear. When I lived in Canton a few years ago, there were two people who were hit by city buses within a week of each other. One died as a result of his injuries. Hey, pay attention when you cross the street, right? I mean, you never know what's coming your way. I've had a couple bad reaction to bee stings. If I see a yellow jacket, let me tell you, I'm a little bit on the, the, the queasy side, running away from it. Throwing my children in front of it, you know, so that they can get it for me. If ever you've been to London and you go down to get on the, the subway, you hear this public address announcer saying continually, mind the gap. You know, they're always saying, mind the gap. I had no idea what in the world they were talking about when I went down there. Mind the gap? What are you... There's this little gap between the edge of the, the platform where you step onto the train and the actual train. And that gap is just wide enough that if you weren't careful, you could get your foot caught in there. And the train would take off and completely ruin your morning. I mean, it would be a bad morning altogether. You should mind the gap. There are also unscrupulous people in this world. Maybe you picked up the uh, Beacon Journal this week and read about this gang member in, in Akron. He was from Kaiga Falls, actually. Um, he wanted to move up in the ranks of his gang. And so they told him to kill a cop. He said, I'm not willing to kill a cop, but I will kill a foreigner. And so he found and shot this, young, this man, Vishnu Tamang. Shot him in the face and killed him. For no reason, other than the sheer self kind of uh, aggrandizement of wanting to move up in a street game. Poor Bishnu Tamang spent 18 years of his life in a refugee camp. Came to the United States hoping to help move his family into just a little better quality of life. And somebody should have told him, beware of some people. Beware of street gangs. Beware of thugs. This world is filled with wonderful, gracious, hospitable, kind, generous souls. I mean, this church is just overflowing with people like that. But this world is also filled with people who are exactly the opposite. Who are mean, who are cruel, who are self-centered, who are vicious. And you have to be cautious in the world. You probably taught your children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews, beware of people. Be on the alert. Look out. St. Paul wrote a letter to a little church in a backwater town of what is today modern Turkey called Colossae. A little city, just a tiny little town. But there was a church that sprang up there. Colossae was not an important city in anywhere in the, in the ancient Roman world. And would not be known to this day, really, except for the fact that St. Paul knew that there was a little Christian community that began there. And so he wrote him a letter. Here's how it happened. that There was a church there at all. It's because this young man, Epaphras, who was a friend of Paul's, apparently went there and began preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, a little group of, of Christians kind of sprung up. And, and they started meeting for church on a Sunday, or perhaps a Saturday night, probably, in those days. And, and they started meeting and, and celebrating communion together and, and hearing the word read. And, and Paul writes them a letter. Colossae is a little Hellenized community. It's, it's Greek in culture and religion and, uh, and language, but it's Roman in government. And Paul hears 
all kinds of good things about these people. Let me read to you just a little bit of the opening part of, of the Colossian letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. You hear what he calls them? He calls them saints. To the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now listen to this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. I mean, this is a great church, isn't it? A church filled with, with faith and love and gentleness. These are your, your really great people in the, in the world. And Paul writes to them the letter. He writes to them in part because he wants to encourage them. Chapter 1 is, is this great letter of encouragement. But it's not just about blowing sunshine, sunshine uh, into their lives. He also wants to, uh, he wants to warn them. And that's what chapter 2 is. Chapter 2 is a, a be careful, beware. Uh, I know that chapter 2, the, the, if, you, if you pay attention to the lesson today, it's densely packed, isn't it? Long sentences with dense theological language. But I want you to look at it. Will you open your bulletin with me and just look at, at, at chapter 2 for just a little bit? I want to show you some things that are in there. In verse 8, the second it's like the third line down. Notice how he begins verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's captive mentally, right? By philosophies and, 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 and human wisdom. See to it that no one takes you captive. Now slide down, way down, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Slide down to verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. Do you see these beware signs? Don't let anyone do this. Don't let anyone do this. Don't let anyone do this. The only reason Paul would have to write these things is because there are people who will actually do it. I, I know. I'm, I, I majored in profundity in, in university, right? It, it's because people will actually do these things. That's why Paul says be careful, be aware. Don't get caught up in their philosophies. Don't get caught up in, in their accusations. When they say to you, you're not good enough, Paul says, don't listen to them. When they say to you, you'll never make it to heaven because you're not holy enough, Paul says, don't listen to them. When they come at you and say, you know, there's a better way, you should, you should do something else, you know, it's not just about Christ, it's about other things, Paul says, stop your ears. Pay no attention to these things. Look at verse 9. For in Him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now look at verse 10. And you have been filled in Him. You have been made complete, some translations have it. You have come to fullness. This is what is called a perfect passive participle. I can barely do English grammar, but a little bit of Greek grammar here. A perfect passive participle means something happened in the past time and has a continuing effect in the present. Imagine I have a glass, empty glass, and a pitcher of water or lemonade or whatever you want. And, and, and I begin to pour it into the glass. And you watch it fill all the way up. And you go, oh, you know, stop, stop. You're going, it's, and, and I just keep pouring, keep pouring. And it comes right to the top and starts to overflow. And I keep pouring. You know, I filled it up. And I continue to fill it up. And I'm continuing to fill it up. This is what Paul is saying. Colossian Christians, in Christ, you have been... The whole 
whole goodness of God has been poured into you. And it's just overflowing and it just continues to pour into you. So don't buy into any nonsense when people say you're not good enough, when people say you're not holy enough, when they say that you're not, you're not godly enough. You tell them, no. It's not about me. It's about what God is doing in me. And don't let them go drag up past failures either. Oh, my. Oh, you know, this is the devil's handiwork right here. Oh, don't you remember when? God forgives, doesn't He? God wipes them away. He doesn't remember anymore. But the devil never forgets. <laughs> you know, And his people never forget. And they come to you and they say, don't you remember when? Look what Paul says, verse 13. You who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, that is Christ. Look at this. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. If you had a pencil, I'd tell you to underline that. All. How many? All. How many are included in all? Well, all of them are included in all. All of our trespasses He has forgiven. And verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. I could spend all day right here. Okay? This word cancel, in Paul, it's an image of, of, like, imagine, it would take a really big one, a really big whiteboard. For me, it would take one about, well, as big as this room. But you had one that was really huge, and somebody got up there and started writing down every sin that you ever did. Joe, you stole a piece of gum out of your teacher's desk in the fourth grade. Uh, Joe, you broke the speed limit one time. Joe, you lied about how many times you've broken the speed limit. Um, You know, you can imagine, right? I mean, just like a whole wall of Joe Boisel sins listed up there. So embarrassing. Oh, I would run from this room. The image is, Paul says, you've been canceled. It's like a big, giant, dry eraser comes up and just wipes every single one of them out. And then a little Windex on there and and polish up that whiteboard and it's clean like no one has ever written a single thing on it. That's the image that Paul has. You said he doesn't have whiteboards in the ancient world. He didn't, but I'm not going to go into telling you how I got there. It was there, you know. This is the way it worked. How? How did he do that? Back down there, verse 14. This he set aside. This record he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. The cross of Jesus. God forgave. He canceled our debt. Why? And how? Because He paid the price through Jesus Christ. God did something for us. We who believe in Christ. God did something for us that we could never, ever do for ourselves. He did something for us that we could never do. Something we could never earn. And there's a, there are people in this world who would strip that away from us. Who would say, you know, let me have your faith. They would rob us of our hope. They would remember all of our sins. They would unearth us from our security. And Paul says, do not let that happen. You know what? You were bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not corruptible things like gold and silver or money, but with something that is far more valuable, the blood of Jesus. I love this show. It's, it's not on TV anymore, just in reruns. And I still, I record it all the time. It's called Monk. Have you ever seen Monk? You know, this show on USA. It's about this, um, this private detective who is crippled by this um, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. 
But his OCD is, is like a gift to him because he sees all the little details that other people miss because he's always trying to fix things. But these little details end up being the clues that help him solve all these crimes. And it's sort of hilarious. And I love it. And I, I really relate to him, not because I have OCD, I don't, but because I'm, I'm extremely paranoid. Um, he's also paranoid. And, and I share that. Um, my antenna are always up. That darn little Jacques toy poodle, you know, he ruined me. Um, I want a bumper sticker that says, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you, you know? And that's where I live. And, um, and Adrian Monk is the same way. There's a, um, there's a theme song written by Randy Newman. It's really hilarious. I won't sing it for you, but it goes like this. It's a jungle out there. Danger, disorder and confusion everywhere. No one seems to care. Well, I do. Who, hey, who's in charge here? It's a jungle out there. Poison in the very air we breathe. You know what's in the water you drink? Well, I do. It's amazing. People think I'm crazy because I worry all the time. If you paid attention, you'd be worried too. You better pay attention or this world we love so much might just kill you. I could be wrong now, but I don't think so. It's a jungle out there. It's a jungle out there. I think if Paul wrote a letter to modern-day Holy Trinity Church, he would say, Joe's a little paranoid, you know. <laughs> Maybe, you know, watch this guy a little bit, you know. He, he might need therapy. Um, but pay attention. Beware. There are people who would try to steal your hope. There are people who would try to steal your faith. There are people who would rob you of the security you have in Christ. Don't let it happen. It is a jungle out there. And you've got to be careful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.